the Asco Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Just give me a reminder of what we've seen so far. <laughs> I think it's been quite diverse. It's been, it's been diverse, yeah. I think um, we started off probably meeting uh, some of our inclusive learning students, um, students with learning difficulties, disabilities, yeah. who enjoy just being here, I suppose, in just a, a wonderful environment that really stretches them to think about different things. We've met some of our Level 3 animal management and uh, environmental conservation students, I think, across the piece. We've seen some public service students who were arresting and detaining <laughs> one of their peers yes. um, as part of a security incident that they were mocking up. Um, we've seen equine students. Um, I think we've popped in to see the construction students and uh, uh, met some of the brick, apprentice bricklayers. So, yeah, fairly diverse and, lots uh, of And a boa constrictor who's just shed her skin. Yes, yeah, 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 a boa constrictor who's just shed her skin. Um, it's a normal day at Easton. <laughs> Hello, it's Jeff Barton. I'm here at Easton College, which is on the outskirts of Norwich. And I'm here because it seems to me that... The challenge I was given more than six and a half years ago when I was elected General Secretary to put the sea into Askell, in other words, it's not just about schools, it's about colleges, is something that we have been trying to do. And now more than ever, at a time when this country needs a whole range of different skills in a whole range of different sectors, it's the FE area of education which really needs to have more attention and we've got a Secretary of State who's come from an apprenticeship route, we've got a Prime Minister who perhaps for the first time has stood on stage talking about the importance of skills, we ought to give more focus to that. So it's a great pleasure today to meet Jerry White, his team, to see the real enthusiasm of young people, the real pride of the staff there and just to celebrate the great work being done in so many of our FE colleges. I'm Jerry White, I'm Principal at City College Norwich which includes includes Eastern College and Paston College. And we're here at Eastern College, just on the outskirts of Norwich. I think it's fair to say it's a fairly quirky site, isn't it? What kind of stuff goes on here? Well, um, effectively, at its heart, it's a land-based college. Um, was Norfolk School of Agriculture when it was set up in the 50s. So, you know, pretty much any of the careers around the land-based industries, ranging from agriculture to all of the agricultural engineering equipment that we have, through to veterinary nursing apprenticeships, and then into the animal management and care areas and things like arboriculture and forestry management and horticulture. So those are the sort of main land-based areas. But then given over the last few years where it's expanded to, I suppose the two other key areas that it's expanded to is sport and public services, you know, wonderful facilities here in a, a lovely Sort of semi-rural setting which gives us lots of outdoor space for doing interesting things um, we've seen our outdoor leadership team today for example who are doing bushcraft and all kinds of things that they they need a bit of outdoor space to do um, so that sport and public services is very important and the final sort of leg of what we do here at Easton is quite a lot of work in inclusive learning which is really around those learners with uh, learning difficulties and disabilities again using the wonderful facilities here as a as a, a, a very large classroom to expand their horizons and that final theme you mentioned there that inclusive learning has been a very striking part of what we've seen today and the kind of skill set that teachers and others need to be able to provide appropriate support not over support those youngsters because they're going to need to be able to cope in the wider world do, do you mind just saying a little bit about that kind of strand of the work you're doing here yeah, I mean, across the, across the college as a whole, for our 16 to 18-year-olds, we're probably seeing getting on for half of them 
having some form of special educational needs or, or disability. Uh, and I think that reflects the place of general further education colleges in supporting young people who have, some young people who've done brilliantly at school, uh, but just have some additional needs. But many young people who found school quite challenging, often because of those additional needs. And some young people who've been in specialist um, schools and moving on to here. But you're right, what we're doing here is not only have we got discrete provision to support those young people with special educational needs, which we call our inclusive learning provision, um, we've also got a lot of those young people accessing what we would call mainstream curriculum alongside peers who don't have a learning difficulty and disability. And therefore the, the teaching staff have to have incredible skills in terms of that differentiation and being able to personalise a little bit of support and teaching and learning. And our curriculum services staff, um, who might be called TAs in, in schools, um, they, they, have a, they need to have some skills as well in that particular regard. Yeah, it's very striking to me the diversity of who, who you've got here. So we've seen adult learners, for example. We've seen 16-year-olds who, as you say, may in some cases have had a bad experience at school. You, you're really having to kind of tailor your curriculum through pedagogy to a whole range of different young people, aren't you? And could we, could we just focus on those who quite possibly have had a bad experience of school? Because essentially in schools we have largely a curriculum which works for the cognitive it doesn't work for youngsters who just want to be able to make things more. I think it's a real weakness of what we've got. We saw a kind of bespoke course you've got for those young people. Could you just describe that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got... Uh, ultimately, all of the programmes at the college, we have to work out what's the intent. You know, I know it's a bit of an Ofsted cliche, but it's very useful. What is the intent? Who are the people we're serving with this course? And where do we want them to go? You know, what's the impact that we want it to have on them um, to make sure that we've got a, a progression route open as well? And, you know, the curriculum needs to be carefully planned to provide all those progression routes. So our step into construction, for, as an example, which we saw today, um, you know, those young people will not have landed on first choice courses they may have been disengaged in school they may have applied applied very late to college which often demonstrates that you know there isn't necessarily that sort of um, parental support or school support to make sure that their progression is really secure in the normal cycles of things and so what we've got is a lot of young people there who who really don't know what they're good at you know they, the school hasn't helped them identify their strengths it's probably helped them identify their weaknesses um, and they probably spent an awful lot of the last few years hearing about those weaknesses but the current curriculum that is in place in a lot of our secondary schools and I understand why you know it's not a criticism of schools um, is um, very narrow very you know cognitively and academically orientated and we know that actually our economy requires a very broad range of skills a very broad range of um, uh, attributes in terms of the young people and the people who are going to go into those industries so when we're seeing those young people trying plastering trying bricklaying getting involved in painting and decorating just because that's a construction orientated course for many of those young people that's the first time they've been able to explore what am i really good at with my hands you know how can i connect the knowledge that I want to gain with the practical skills that I might be able to demonstrate that I'm really strong at and can we help them identify a route that's going to really give them the confidence and the resilience and, and the self-esteem that's going to be able to provide them with a career for the future. And in a country which is desperately short of the skills that the, the, in a whole range of sectors that it needs. I think probably the wider public assumes that when we look at apprenticeships, what we are seeing is youngsters doing apprenticeships. Now, what you were saying is actually the way in which the apprenticeship model works 
it, it doesn't provide that. Am, am I right in saying it like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, Norfolk has done a very good job, actually. Uh, uh, Norfolk employers working with colleges and training providers have done a good job at trying to navigate our way through the apprenticeship challenges. But, you know, nationally, the numbers of young people, 16 to 18, doing apprenticeships continues to decline. Um, and, you know, whilst there is a rhetoric around the growing number of standards that are out there for people to, to study, and, and there is a growing rhetoric around, you know, the success or of degree apprenticeships and higher level apprenticeships and you know they play a role and are are an important way that higher education can become accessible to some people ultimately i think one of the real challenges is that you know we've got far fewer opportunities for young people to move from year 11 in school into work with training that supports them via an apprenticeship to get a nationally recognised qualification. And, you know, the, administra- uh, the administration system is incredibly complex for employers and for colleges and training providers like us. Um, that puts off some employers getting involved. Um, the levy, I think, is uh, for large employers is incentivising certain behaviours around very much higher-level apprenticeships, um, you know, and I think... You know, there's obviously a place for um, uh, employee employers to invest in their middle managers to go and do an MBA at the local university. I'm not I'm not suggesting that isn't worthwhile, but really, should we be spending the proportions of the funding that's going into apprenticeships on that, or should we really be focusing on the young people who really could? Get, take their first step into work, they f- really get that training under their belt and go into some of those careers and professions that are truly new jobs that are being created by apprenticeships, not upskilling uh, essentially existing employees. Now, we talk about funding there. You and I had our first conversation around the whole funding thing, and I'd just be interested for you just to say some of the things you've said during our walk. For example, if I am an 18-year-old, the funding that follows me is different from if I were a 17-year-old. And some of the funding which you are getting for some youngsters on some courses essentially is the same as it was almost a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there there were a number of um, quirks and, and... you know, uh, frustrations within the 16 to 19 funding system. And for me, one of the biggest ones is that issue about 18-year-olds. So effectively, if someone is in the equivalent of year 14 in school terminology or the third year of post-16 education, they, they can be funded and indeed are expected to, you know, potentially still be in full-time education. Um, but that full-time education is funded at 17.5% less than their 16- and 17-year-old peers on exactly the same course. You know, that makes absolutely no sense. It was brought in in 2014 as an emergency cost-saving measure by the ESFA. It was meant to last just a short period of time, and here we are almost a decade later, and it's still there. The reality of that is that on the ground, it makes no difference to us. We, we don't taper off support to those 18-year-olds because they still need the same level of support. We saw a group this morning where the young lady who's 18 in the group is thinking about how to go into industry or considering applying to university. We provide exactly the same UCAS support or progressions into apprenticeship support that she requires. If she requires well-being support, all of those services would be equally available to her and have to be equally available to her. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's effectively a penalty against, against colleges like mine that provide routes that aren't simply a two-year linear route post-16. And, you know, for my institution to illustrate that impact, you know, of our, that is costing us each year in lost funding somewhere in the region of three-quarters of a million pounds. If they were funded at the full rate, we would be three-quarters of a million pounds in terms of our funding better off. And, and as I say, the 
problem is it's a penalty on inclusivity. It's a penalty on providing young people second chances to go different routes. And, you know, it's just unjustified. Ask Lajeunesse campaigned around the forgotten third, those youngsters who are getting a grade three, a grade two, a grade one, and don't have the dignity of being able to show what they can do in the basics of, of maths and English. How does that impact you? What, what does it look like on reset days uh, for you, uh, given that you've got three different institutions as part yeah. of the group? Yeah, I mean, broadly, uh, for us, in terms of the numbers that we're dealing with, um, in the current year, we're, we're planning towards a summer exam series where 1,500 students will sit maths GCSE on the single day, or three single days, and uh, 1,500, in some cases, different students, so in some cases, the same students, will sit their English GCSEs. And then we have about another 500 students who will be sitting maths or, or English or numeracy or literacy functional skills in addition to that within the cohort. So we're seeing, you know, getting on for half of the young people who come to the college still not achieving that grade four at school um, and uh, still requiring additional support to do so. I mean, I think there's, the, there's an awful lot of um, issues there ranging from young people's... Um, uh, self-confidence and self-esteem um, with respect to, to their performance in, in, in English and in uh, uh, maths, GCSEs. You know, there's an awful lot of understandable focus on that grade four, grade five in, in secondary schools. Um, I understand why that is the case. But of course, you know, if you then, inverted commas, fail, you know, you feel like a failure. And how, you know, and then, of course, the first thing that we do is turn around and say, well, you've got to do it again. So it's about how do we have that dialogue with young people, how do we build and rebuild their confidence, how do we in what is only in some cases about 25 weeks teaching actually address uh, the gaps that they've got, the things that have held them back from achieving those grade four, five, sixes. Um, how do we really, um, and that's you know, got to be a hugely skillful task for the um, uh, teachers because they're, they're getting students who've studied different syllabuses at different schools and have different strengths and weaknesses who we've never met before in September and we've got to get them ready for an exam in May, June. And, you know, that's an incredibly um, challenging task of diagnosing initial need, really targeting and individualising programmes as much as we can. And then, of course, you get into the sheer practicality of how do you sit 1,500 people at the same time on an exam. And of those 1,500, we will probably expect 700 to have exam access arrangements. Wow. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about only being able to sit half of them broadly in normal exam conditions, and then you've got to shut the rest of the college effectively to um, house and accommodate uh, the young people who need a quiet room, the young people who need a reader, a scribe, use IT, need blue paper, need pink paper. We, we, I think we had 26 different shades of paper at last, year's, at last year's summer exam series required by their exam access arrangements. So, you know, we are in a situation where you are... You are a, it's an awful terminology, and I, I'm now going to regret saying it, I think, but it is almost like a, it's industrial scale yeah. Um, yeah. in terms of what, what we have to do. And, you know, the processes underpinning it are incredibly challenging to adhere to. You know, um, just the sheer practicalities of how do you distribute 1,500 exam papers when you can only open exam papers half an hour before the exam start. You know, it is, it's, it's not easy. 
Let me just ask you two final things. <clears throat> so you've got an education secretary who reminds us frequently that she's come through a, a apprenticeship route, degree apprenticeship. And you've got, perhaps for the first time, a prime minister who stood up at the conference, whatever we think about the advanced British standard and stuff, but who talked about the importance of skills and the FE sector. Does all of that give you reason to be cheerful? Uh, it gives me reasons to be more positive than I've been for quite a long time, that the work that we are collectively doing as a sector, including with um, colleagues in the unions like yourselves, Jeff, is starting to really pay dividends, that the connectivity that we've always hoped that the economists would make between what the skills needs are of the economy and what the needs are of skills and employers and how that needs to permeate down into the education sector is landing. I think the problem is that we've then got to follow that through with investment. We've got to recognise that by investing in technical and vocational skills, and it is investment, we too often talk about funding. Yeah. It's not funding, it's investing. Right. It's investing in the investing in the economy of the future um, and, and uh, really working that kind of things through. Um, so, you know, it's really about focusing on how are we investing in the, in the productivity of our economy and making that economic argument and then recognising that upstream, that's about individuals. It's about individual yeah. students. It's about individual apprentices. It's about individual employers understanding their needs, translating those needs into the curriculum that we need to deliver, and then really being passionate about the value of technical and vocational education and trying to get upstream into schools and help them see the passion and the, and the role that technical education can play for some of their most disaffected young people, totally. as well as yeah. some of their most capable. Yeah. You know, my, my own daughters did the traditional A-level route one of them's a product design engineer. She's a product design engineer because probably because dad said, actually, you know, there's some real practical stuff here. You know, you can apply that learning, you can do something different and you can challenge the norm. Um, we need more young people, more schools, more institutions being challenged to think about how to use their academic skills and really apply them to the tasks that we've got ahead of us as a country. Last question, honest. So we've spent a couple of hours walking around seeing a whole range of different learners on a whole range of different courses with different members of staff some of them teaching them things some of them giving them support etc real sense of the humanity of the place real sense of the engagement of the young people and the pride of the staff I have to say it's been uh, it's blown me away seeing all of that as you walk around what are you most proud of uh, I'm most proud I think of the just the absolute commitment of the staff to each individual learner's progress. We often talk here that um, we're focused on individual success, not institutional success. You know, if it's the right thing for a learner to swap a qualification halfway through the year or to step out of the qualification and we'll keep them going on a couple of other things and then they rejoin next year because their mental health is too bad, that's going to hit our institutional overall measures. We don't care. We care about the individual, and I know my colleagues passionately care about each individual student and young person and adult and apprentice that they've got in front of them. And I think what makes me so proud is to see that individual care and attention come through and to hear from those young people, their parents, their carers, the employers of those apprentices, how much difference that's made to those young people and how different sometimes their college experience has been about and how it's regained their faith in education and given them the confidence that they can learn throughout their life and do something different than they thought was possible.
Jerry White, thanks for inviting me to Eastern College today. Thanks for coming, Jeff, and uh, great to show you our boa constrictor and all the wonderful things <laughs> yes. that we've seen. Yes. Okay. Let's see if I sleep well tonight. Okay. Thank you. Take care. The Ask a Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. 